Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 59 because Tiago Maheta Santos is taking on Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill in the main event going down this Saturday night live at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the co-main event features Vicente Luque taking on Jeff Neal. I mean, we can honestly just spend the show talking about these two fights. Don't worry. We'll cover some of the other ones too. But these two fights is enough for me. And, I mean, just this main event's unbelievable. Tiago Santos. I mean, this dude is, what is it? Is he third most knockouts in USC history? Let's look up the record. Because, I mean, we're dealing with a guy in Tiago Maheta Santos who has wins via body kick knockout, wins via head kick knockout. He's messed dudes up with leg kicks before. So he's got the most knockout victories in UFC middleweight division, tied with Anderson Silva and Uriah Hall. And I think he's got third most all-time knockouts in the UFC. So we're dealing with a serious guy. And I mentioned the, the body kick knockouts, the head kick knockouts. What about the punches too? Don't forget about the punches, man. This guy has gone out there, knocked out Jan Blahovich. Remember when he blitzed Jack Hermanson? Um, he's got a spinning wheel kick knockout on his resume too. So, you know, Tiago Maheta is just, what can you say, man? At this point, I'd consider him one of the legends of the middleweight and and light heavyweight division just in terms of the knockout artists, like one of the great knockout artists. Like you think of like Anthony Rumble Johnson as one of the great knockout artists of the light heavyweight division. Back in the day, welterweight division too, for y'all that remember. But most recently, obviously, light heavyweight division. But I think Tiago Maheta should be in that conversation in terms of one of the best knockout artists that we've seen in that, in that division. Even though actually... Maybe we say middleweight division because most of those knockouts did come at middleweight. And actually, that's going to lead me into my next point where we're going to talk about how has my heads up been looking lately? Is he still the same guy he once was? There's a lot to discuss. And then on the other side of things, you got the emerging, the rising Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, who you guys know I've been very high on since the day he came into the UFC. And you watch that UFC debut. And I mean, when's the last time you saw a light heavyweight? put up those kind of numbers in a three-round fight, land over 100 significant strikes in a three-round fight. I mean, those are the numbers that the little dudes are putting up. But then he's also got the one-hitter-quitter of a heavyweight. You saw those last two fights. I mean, listen, I know Johnny Walker's been rocked in fights before, but the only other fight he got he got knocked out in, in the UFC was against Corey Anderson. It was like a standing TKO. You know, the guy didn't even truly go down. When Jamal Hill clipped him, I mean, it was like this emphatic, like almost like a flamboyant reaction by Johnny Walker when he got clipped. I know Jimmy Crute's lost some fights before, but who the hell has ever done Jimmy Crute like that? So I think we're dealing with something special here with Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, and this is going to be a huge test, a big step up in competition for him. You know, you you beat this guy, then it's only the top five guys after that. So amazing amazing fight can't wait to get into it so everybody do me a huge favor smash the like button hit the subscribe button and let's get down let's get down to business so main event of the evening in the 205 pound division we got tiago maheta santos he's 22 and 10 representing brazil taking on jamal sweet dreams hill who is 11 and 1 not 10 and 1 fuck that he beat clits in abreu he's 11 and 1 representing the united states of america currently they got it jamal hill Minus 315, the comeback on Tiago Maheta Santos is plus 265. So lots of talking points to get down to. 
has Maheta Santos been the same guy since the John Jones fight? That's something that needs to be addressed. But before I address that, I want to point something else out. Output-wise, the output has actually never truly been there for Tiago Maheta Santos. So I know that he's not getting the knockouts lately. These fights are getting extended, and therefore it appears that he's not the same guy he once was. But if you actually look throughout his career, anytime fights get extended, like output-wise, it's been pretty consistent. Like the only like outlier is the Eric Anders fight where he landed 100 significant strikes. But besides that, he's ranging from 40 to 60 strikes per fight. And if this fight gets extended, that is just not enough to keep up with the pace of a guy like Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill uh, almost doubles the output of a guy like Maheta Santos. So let's just get that out the way. If this is an extended fight, because I know people have questions about what happens if, if Hill gets extended. We've seen Maheta go five rounds many times. I mean, even in Jamal Hill's like fourth or third pro fight, he had already gotten the five-round distance, so he's got five-round experience, but that UFC debut, that's when I first took note of Hill. I mean, I saw him on Contender Series, and I knew about him from the regional scene, um, but when I saw that debut against Darko, people like to talk about how he got taken down six times. I like to talk about how he got back up six times, but the most impressive thing for me, firstly, he had a broken hand in that fight, but not to make excuses for him. He goes all three rounds, lands over 100 significant strikes in a three-round fight. Like That's when I noticed, like, yo... This guy's got the output of a little guy, but he's got the power of a big guy. And look at the size, six foot four with that 79 inch reach. He's representing that new wave of light heavyweights that are coming up. The Yuri Prohaskas, the Alexander Rockiches. There's a lot more too. I mean, Dominic Reyes at one point. Now you might consider him damaged goods, but when he was first coming in, he was one of those bigger guys. Because remember, when when John Jones was the champ, look, he he's amazing. He's never lost a fight, but a lot of the guys he were he was fighting were at big physical disadvantages to John Jones. So, you know, the only guy that could match him size-wise was like Alexander Gustafsson, but Alexander Gustafsson never truly had you know what it took up here or right here to to match a guy like John Jones. When the going got tough, John Jones would bite down on that mouthpiece 10 times out of 10. Gustafsson wasn't able to answer the bell in the deep waters. But the difference here is that now, you know, that was just kind of like a one-off, you know, Alexander Gustafsson and John Jones, where that was like the only guy that could match the size. But then Dominic Reyes came along, gave John Jones a very good fight. But now all these guys are fucking big coming into the light heavyweight division. Like I said, the Yearies, the Rockets, Anka Leave is a very big dude, uh, Jamal Hill. So it's really nice to see these emerging light heavyweights. And it's just a shame that John Jones isn't there anymore because I want to see John Jones get tested against these emerging light heavyweights. So back to Tiago, we've covered how the output has actually relatively been the same throughout his entire career. Like him not throwing much his last few fights isn't something new. Like go back to like day one and it's literally been like that. He's either getting these guys out of there early or they're low output decision fights that's just how it goes so what jamal hill needs to be worried about here i mean there's all the talk about you know maheta his movement hasn't been the same since the john jones fight he had all those knee surgeries you know maybe he doesn't cover distance like he used to okay i'll give you that but that's not my big talking point because he's still just as dangerous, man. I mean, even in some of these losses, he's getting knockdowns in these losses. Like his last fight against Magomed Ankaliev, he dropped Magomed Ankaliev in the second round. His fight against Glover Teixeira, he dropped Glover Teixeira, I believe, in the third round. So 
he's landing knockdowns in fights that he loses. And the reason I bring that up is that Tiago Majeta Santos is still a dangerous guy, despite despite the knee surgeries, despite the decline, and despite another thing that I'm about to bring up, he's actually 38 years old, which is very surprising to me. Uh, I mean, it's not surprising when you really sit down and look at it and think about like, damn, I've been watching this dude in the UFC since fucking 2013. You understand what I'm saying? And even the ultimate fighter Brazil prior to that, right? So when you look at it like that, man, time truly does fly. And we have been seeing him in the UFC for close to 10 years. So, you know, fighters got a shelf life. But this guy is still dangerous even in fights he's losing. And the reason I bring that up is because Jamal Hill isn't the kind of guy that's going to, you know, circle on the outside. Like Magomed Ankalib, what's great about him just in terms of being a winner is that he doesn't take any unnecessary risks. He's content to just sit on the outside pick you apart and if you want to charge Ankalev recklessly if you want to say fuck it against a guy like Ankalev like remember when Iwan Kutalaba said fuck it against Ankalev he got knocked out shortly after but these other guys they're kind of just content to get picked apart that's why some of these Ankalev fights quote unquote can can seem kind of boring but you got to respect him and then Alexander Rakic is kind of the same way he likes to play it safe as well Jamal Hill is not going to play it safe so on one hand he's going to get right in Tiago Mahetas uh, Santos's face, he's going to force him to fight in that phone booth, force him to fight in those closed quarters. And that could break a guy like Tiago Mahetta Santos. Uh, Jamal Hill is going to fight fire with fire. That's understood. Like, there's no questions asked about the approach here from Jamal Hill. Now, in doing so, that will leave openings for a guy like Mahetta, who, like I said, despite the losing streak, despite him being 38, despite him not moving like he used to with the knee surgeries. He's still a dangerous guy. He still lands knockdowns in fights that he loses. So my biggest concern is Jamal getting clipped behind the ear with one of these opportunistic hooks that Maheta lands. Maheta likes to end all his combinations with big hooks from the right side and the left side. And one thing I like about Jamal Hill, though, he's got those hammer blocks like he was talking about, like he told Sean Strickland to do. And those are good. It's just those are really good when if Maheta tries to lead and goes after him, those hammer blocks are going to be there. What I'm worried about is when Jamal blitzes him getting countered by something. That's that's my only concern here. And then we can talk about the leg kicks too. You know, Jamal isn't necessarily known for checking too many leg kicks, but I think that what I really like about this kid Hill, I already talked about the output for a guy his size, the power, of course, but Look at his distance, man. Look at his footwork. Look at how he switches stances. Look at the variety of shots that he brings to the table. He's establishing his jab. He's going to the body. He's got kicks. He's got punches. He's got elbows. He's got knees. He's good everywhere the fight goes. There's a misconception that he's got a hole on the ground, but you got to understand Paul Craig submitted Ankeli. Paul Craig submitted Krilov. Paul Craig submitted Kennedy and Zetchuku. And one difference between the way he submitted those three guys I mentioned and the way he submitted Hill, Hill never tapped. <laughs> Hill let his arm get broken and they started to try. He's tried to punch him with his broken arm. Like, so that goes to show that not only does Jamal Hill have great technique, not only does in terms of like the striking, like we mentioned, not only does he have the output, not only does he have the power, the size, the athleticism, but he's also got the heart of a champion because literally there was no tap when his arm got fucking broken. The guy was still, the guy was like, all right, you're going to break my arm. I'm going to try to hit you with it. 
So that right there is the heart of a champion. So to be a guy like Jamal Hill, you're going to actually have to knock him unconscious. And it's been since 2019 that Tiago Santos actually knocked someone unconscious. And, and there's speculation if Blahovich was actually unconscious or if he got hit and covered up and let the ref intervene. But bottom line, Jamal Hill is not going to look for a way out at all in this fight like if you see his arm broken and the guy's not looking for a way out then i think if he gets dropped here i mean if he gets dropped if jamal gets dropped tiago has to knock him unconscious jamal uh maheta has to land that finishing blow and put him out like that contender series fight last night when that kid uh in the main event uh duncan versus campbell was it um Remember the follow-up shots. The dude went out cold. That's how Maheta has to handle this if he drops Jamal Hill. You cannot let a guy like Jamal Hill off the hook whatsoever because you let him off the hook, the guy's got the heart of a lion. The guy's got big balls. The guy is not going to look for any way out whatsoever, and he is going to try to win this fight bell to bell. So you have to literally kill this man to get him out of there. Now, Tiago Maheta does possess the power. The last thing to go for any fighter is power. I mean, you even saw in Dan Henderson's last fight against Bisbing, the second one, you know, the, the title fight, like he was still out there. Like he's looking slow as molasses, and he's still out there dropping uh, Michael Bisbing in that fight. So power is the last thing to go. That's what we got to be worried about, those hooks to the back of the ear. Maybe a high kick. I don't think the high kick's going to be there. Um, so... What I think is, I think the output's too much for Jamal Hill. I think Jamal Hill is going to, he's just, he's fired up to be here. He wants to make a statement. He wants to move up the ranks and he's got the goods to do so. The output is almost twice the output of Maheta. I think he's got more power than Maheta because you look at the difference. You look at these last few fights where Tiago's lost, but he's actually landed knockdowns. That's credit to his power, but the guys have gotten back up and they've won the fight. When Jamal Hill knocks people down, they don't get back up, man. So I, I think there's a chance for a Jamal Hill knockout. But if this fight gets extended, then, you know, I definitely got the output of Jamal taking over. Now, Big Mark said a good, brought up a good point. He said that liver kick don't care how big your balls are. Yeah, I mean, listen, you get caught with a good liver kick, then, you know, it is what it is. Your body's going to shut down. So, yeah, is is Maheta going to land one of those? You never know. It's It's been a long-ass time since he's really let those kicks go like he used to. Because nowadays, may, maybe this is credit to the knee surgeries and this and that. Nowadays, he's more backing himself into the fence, Tyron Woodley style, and looking to counter with big, big hooks. And those hooks are still big, despite him being 38 years old. Like I said, he's dropping dudes even in fights he's losing. So you have to respect the power. but. I think that Jamal Hill is going to try to turn this into a real fight. He's not going to just try to point up a guy like uh, Tiago Maheta Santos. He's going to try to get in his face, make him fight, get in the phone booth, um, fight fire with fire. And listen, as a result, you fight that kind of fight. Will there be openings for the other side to land? Yeah, there will be. So if Maheta is able to put him down, put him out, then much respect to him. But I got to go with Jamal Hill here. So I took Jamal Hill minus 260, and I parlayed him with, I would say someone else on the card, but I'll just let you know who that someone else is. And that someone else is the Sam Alvey fade, uh, Michal Olegzechuk. And we'll get to that fight in a second, but um, it's, been pretty, it's been pretty profitable fading Sam Alvey. So uh, I don't always do parlays, but when I do, you know what I'm saying? Uh, like my, my, my Dos Equis boy. So yeah, 
I, I got Jamal Hill parlayed with uh, Mikhail Olegzechuk minus 158. I played it to win two units. So let's get it. Yeah, I think that this is Sweet Dreams time right now. I've told you guys since day one that I think I consider this guy the future of the division. And if I am right in that statement, well, then he's going to then he's gonna have to go out there and be a guy like Tiago Mejeta Santos. Um, I think he already took his first setback. And despite him not even tapping in that fight, it was still a humbling experience. And you see how how he reacted to that setback. He's not saying shit like, oh, I want my rematch. Oh, you got lucky, this and that. He wasn't saying shit like, oh, I never tapped and the, and the ref just stopped it. I, I was willing to keep fighting. He didn't say no shit like that. He gave Paul Craig his credit. He said, I got too cocky. My own arrogance cost me. I disrespected the game. Like that kind of self-awareness is what you like to hear from someone that has title aspirations. That's what you like to hear from a young prospect that you think has the capability of going far in the division. And that's exactly what I think Jamal Hill has now. I do have some insight to Jamal Hill, you know, so, cause so I interviewed him um, back after his UFC debut. And ever since then, I mean, I think he liked the energy I brought to the table. I think he liked that I picked up on things that other people don't pick up on. So we've stayed in touch ever since. And, and I say, you know, we talk maybe once every two weeks or so. And let's just say this dude is locked in, man. This dude is focused and he's got the right people around him. He's doing all the right things. Now, there are some things that I want him to tighten up on outside the outside the cage, you know, maybe nutrition-wise, this and that, but the guy ain't going to miss weight, I'll tell you that right now. So I think he's dialed in. I think he's locked in. I think he's a super hard worker. I think he's hungry. I think he's not getting ahead of, uh, ahead of himself just because he, uh, he absolutely destroyed his last two opponents. I think he's on a mission. I think this is his time. And I was shocked that Maheta is 38. I thought my boy was like 34 or something. And listen. I'll always have respect for my head to Santos. Always grateful for all the amazing knockouts he gave us. And and if he catches Hill, you got to give him credit for that too. But based on where they're trending now, you saw even in that Magomed Ankali fight with Tiago Santos, when he dropped him in that second round, wasn't able to seal the deal. And then after that, he just kind of backed off the rest of the fight. By the time the fourth and fifth round rolled around, uh, Tiago Santos is kind of looking away. He's kind of putting his hands on his knees. It just really bad body language. Just kind of looked discouraged. Looked like, you know, I just, I just don't, I just don't quite have it anymore. But let me just put a little clarification on that. You put him in there with. Let me pull up the rankings real quick, because like there's still dudes that Maheta can beat. It's not like this dude. Like let's not act like he's completely washed up. I'm not saying that at all. But like. Shit, the top 15 is looking fucking stacked right now. <laughs> but uh listen, I still I still think that there's some guys that my head took and beat, man. He's still a dangerous ass guy. You still have to respect him. You still you can't go in there, chin up in the air, hands down, and let him counter you with one of those big hooks behind the ear. And back in the day with those kicks, man, the kicks used to be the biggest weapon for my head. They haven't been there as much lately. Now it's just been more of the hands, but his hands are big too. It's just the output isn't quite there. That that fire we once saw from Maheta isn't quite there. He's not really willing to put himself um, in danger of getting knocked out like he used to to land his big shots. Now he's more backing up and countering, which can still work, but I think the percentages of it working go down significantly. So, again, I got Jamal Hill. I think he's going to be switching his stances. I think he's going to keep his range, and I think he's going to be in the face of Maheta Santos. I think he's going to make him fight. I don't think it's going to be a, 
you know, sit back and counter and, and, you know, you throw a shot, I throw a shot. I think it's going to be a real fight. And yeah, of course I'm worried about Hill maybe getting a little bit too wild, getting a bit carried away and stuff like that. But I think that all the fights he's had leading up to this point, have gotten him ready for this main event showdown. And I think he's going to show up and I think he's going to show out. I don't know what round. I don't know if it's going to be a knockout. I don't know if it's going to be a decision. I could see him even dropping my head and submitting him. A lot of people don't know that Jamal Hill, uh, he's a purple belt in jujitsu too. So he's, he's been training his ass off. He just hasn't, you know, had to show it yet. The one time he did have to show it on the ground. Well, in the Darko fight, his getup game, I was like, God damn. That was like, that was like a 205 Jose Aldo the way he pops back up. But in the Paul Craig fight, I mean, he let the dude break his arm. He didn't even tap. He started punching him with his broken arm. So, there's no questions about the heart of Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill. So for Maheta to win this fight, he has to knock Jamal Hill unconscious, period, point blank. A knockdown might not even be enough. You have to actually put him out cold, like in Contender Series last night with, with Duncan and Campbell, like out cold where there's no questions. That's how Maheta can win. Whereas I think that Jamal can drop Maheta and Maheta might cover up and let the ref intervene. That's the difference. So... I got Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill to win this fight, move up the rankings, and get a big, big fight next, maybe even a title eliminator, and stake his claim as one of the emerging, I don't want to say prospects anymore, but contenders in the UFC light heavyweight division. And again, back to my earlier point, it's just unfortunate that John Jones isn't there anymore because I wanted to see John Jones against this new guard. I want to see John Jones tested against these young, hungry lions who can match him athletically and physically. Like back in the day, John would have like a 10-inch reach advantage over these guys. He'd have like a 5-inch height advantage. That wouldn't be the case anymore. So too bad he's not the champ. Now we got Yuri, who's fucking awesome. How could you not love watching Yuri fight? So, so many exciting fights ahead. And back to another point we've been talking about. This new guard is about to usher out the old guard in every single weight class. I use this example like almost every show. Like, let me pull up the rankings. So, like in lightweight, how many times have I used this example, guys? So, Tony Ferguson's number eleven, Conor McGregor's number twelve, Dan Hooker's number number thirteen. Like, you mean to tell me these guys like Jalen Turner, Demir Ismagulov, Rafael Fazeev? Uh, Gamrot, Sarukian. Like, you mean to tell me these guys aren't about to just come out here and usher them out the rankings? Because I, I think they are. So, uh, <laughs> my boy Sarah said Jamal doing an Eric Spicely to my head would be sick. I know, right? That that that'd be quite the curveball there. So, yeah. So I parlayed Jamal Hill with Michal Oleksandrchuk to win uh, two units. So uh, let's get it, baby. Uh, Joshua said, we've seen John Jones versus the new guard, and he was pushed to the limit versus Dom Reyes. And, and that's a very good point. He was pushed to the limit. Um, but I wanted to see, but that's like just like one example. I wanted to see him against more of these guys, against Jiri, against Rockage, against Anka Leave, against Jamal Hill. Like, you know, he got past the Reyes fight, but would he get past those other ones, right? So that, that's, that's kind of why I wanted him to stick around. But it is what it is. You can't cry over spilled milk. So, yep, y'all know my pick. Y'all know where I stand. If there's anything else I left out, I'll come back to it. But for now, let's move on to the co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. Another Brazilian versus American matchup. We got Vicente Luque. Vicente Luque. He's 21 and 8. Taking on Jeff Hands of Steel Neal, who is 14 and 4. Currently, they got it 
Vicente Luque minus 170. The comeback on Jeff Neal is plus 150. I mean, what an unbelievable fight this is. Uh, I mean, honestly, I can just watch these two fights and just be good for the night. You know what I'm saying? I don't need to see anything else. Uh, but th this is truly one of those fights that it could be a pay-per-view opener uh, on certain cards. Well, here on a fight night, it's a co-main event. I mean, this could be a main event on a different fight night. Uh, this is a serious, serious fight. I mean, with Vicente Luque, like, what is there to say, man? I mean, he's someone that's always stayed true to himself, and he hasn't changed his style. He's not going to come out here and, you know, put his leg between a grown, put his head between a grown man's legs and make the crowd boo. Like, you're not going to boo during a Vicente Luque fight, especially if he's doing what he does. Uh, and what he does is, Big left hooks, big right hands, big calf kicks. You get hurt. You shoot a sloppy shot on a guy like Vicente Luque. He's got that Darson Anaconda series waiting for you. One of the most dangerous and potent finishers in the history of the welterweight division. Let me actually pull up if uh, where he's at. I think he might be like second or third all time with finishes. I know Matt Brown's got the most finishes in uh, UFC welterweight history. Okay, yeah, yeah. So Vicente's got the second most finishes in welterweight history uh with 13 i think matt brown has like 14 or 15 so like they're like neck and neck right um and it would be fitting for maybe after this fight put vicente in there with matt brown and let them you know either matt brown extend the record or vicente luke ties him you know because you, you know for a fact someone will get finished in that fight but back to this this is an interesting matchup for a lot of reasons uh there's not going to be any curveballs here from luke right we know exactly what Luke brings to the table. I already mentioned the big weapons that left hook. I mean, that left hook is so lethal. We're talking about a dude. We you know how we were talking about Tiago Maheta Santos in the main event, right? This dude, Luke knocked out Maheta Santos back on the Brazilian regional scene. Do you understand what I'm saying? The kind of power this guy possesses. We're talking about knockout wins over Bilal Muhammad, knockout wins over Jalen Turner, Brian Barberena, Nico Price, Randy Brown. Uh, he knocked out and tapped out Tyron Woodley. <laughs> I mean, this dude is, is, is truly something else, man. And to take it a step further, Luke has only been finished twice in his entire career, and it was by submission. And and the most recent one was in fucking 2013, like when he was just a kid on, on the regional scene. So, like, as far as I'm concerned, he's never been finished. So we, we know exactly what to expect. He's going to be plotting. He's going to be brawling. You go toe-to-toe -to -toe in the pocket with the guy like Luque, and there's a chance he could shut your lights out. Another interesting uh, fact, Luque has actually been the favorite in every single one of his UFC fights. Interesting, right? So there's been a couple times uh, to fade him. You know, the last time was a good one, plus 160 on Bilal Muhammad. And Bilal Muhammad came in there with a really good game plan. You know, I know it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, Bilal just wrestled him, which I don't know why you discredit that. Wrestling is part of MMA. But it wasn't just the wrestling. Bilal landed some very nice body kicks on Vicente Luque. And if you ask Vicente Luque, if you ask Vicente Luque's coach, Henry Hooft, if you ask Vicente Luque's brother slash training partner, Gilbert Dorino Burns, uh, what what uh what was the reaction to that body kick that Bilal Muhammad landed? They'll all let you know that Vicente was actually very hurt by that body kick that Bilal landed. It's just that Vicente's got a ridiculous poker face. Vicente is a true warrior. Vicente is not going to let you know when he's hurt. And there's been some fights when he's been dropped before. Uh, for example, 
obviously the Wonder Boy Thompson fight, he was knocked down in that fight. And uh, the Brian Barberena fight, he was knocked down in that fight too. But the guy is an extremely resilient Brazilian warrior, and he's able to get back up to his feet. Um, it's just, we again, we know what to expect, kind of plodding with the footwork, kind of, you know, it's got that, you know, that high Brazilian Muay Thai guard, trying to trying to time that big left hook, that big overhand right, trying to cut you down with calf kicks. What I think is going to be kind of tough for him in this fight against Neil, well, firstly, at one point, I consider Neil to be the fastest fighter in the welterweight division. And, you know, he had that unfortunate incident where he almost died. Um, he had, like, heart failure and sepsis and all this shit. So he had a couple fights where he was just rebounding from that, had to get his confidence back, had to get his feet under him, just wasn't looking like himself, had very lackluster performances against Wonderboy and against um, Neil Magny. But that Santiago Ponzinibbio fight, even though it was super close, even though it wasn't Jeff Neal's best performance, it was at least a step in the right direction. It was at least miles ahead better than the two fights prior to that. So that gives me confidence that at least like maybe now that he's had those three fights behind him, maybe now we can get back to the old Jeff Neal that I thought was the fastest guy in the division and was one of the most promising prospects slash rising contenders in the welterweight division. And word on the street is that the health issues are behind him. Now is that, is that, just talk as we all know talk is cheap so it might just be talk it might just be hyperbole but based on what i saw in the ponds fight again wasn't his best performance but was at least a, a, a significant step in the right direction compared to the two fights previous to that but the reason i brought up jeff neal's southpaw stance is because of this vicente luque one of the biggest calf kickers the calf kick is not going to quite be there against the southpaw when you go orthodox versus southpaw the the leg kicks from the orthodox fighter aren't quite there on the southpaw so that's that's one interesting thing another interesting thing is you know how i mentioned that uh blah muhammad was having a lot of success with body kicks in, in the luke fight the second luke fight of course well now when we talk about southpaw versus orthodox the southpaw fighter has a big advantage with that liver kick which is directly open so i'm very curious to see if if Jeff Neal's coach, Safe Sayud, one of the best coaches in the game, if they've, tr I know they've been putting in their homework. I don't have to question them, but I'm curious to see if that's one of the things they noticed on tape. Like, hey, like we can blast this dude's liver all day. So I want to see some Jeff Neal liver kicks in this fight, to be quite honest with you. I know he's had success with the high kick before. You saw the Mike Perry fight with Mike Perry had a, spl uh, uh, a split decision fight with Luke. It was a, hell of a war i thought luke won that fight for sure but um again you saw Bilal have a lot of success with that body kick i want to see jeff neal who's actually a southpaw Bilal switches stances but Bilal's orthodox jeff neal's a southpaw that body kick from the southpaw stance to the orthodox fighter that livers wide open i want to see jeff neal go to that liver another thing jeff neal's footwork he's a very fast guy I don't think he's going to be as readily as readily available to be hit as some of these other guys that are just going to stand toe to toe in the pocket with Luke. Like for example, Mike Perry. Mike Perry, dude's got big balls too. Dude is just going to you know bite down on his mouthpiece. They're going to draw a line in the sand and, and they're going to go toe to toe until one man falls. That's the kind of fight that that would be. But Jeff Neal, 
He's very mobile. He's very fast. If we can just get back to a little bit of that speed that I was seeing right before the health issues that Neil had and word on the street is he's healthy again, That, but that's just word on the street. Talk is cheap, but if there's any truth to that, then I think that he can kind of frustrate Luke a little bit with that movement, with that speed, get in and out, you know, don't get into a toe-to-toe brawl with a guy like Luke because you do that, that's when Luke has got his opportunity for his big counters, and that's when Luke can knock anybody out, like like literally anybody. I mean, the dude knocked out my head, who's a goddamn 205-er. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you go toe-to-toe with Luke. I mean, there, I don't think there's anyone better in the welterweight division that can go toe-to-toe. Like, I think that Luke would even beat Paul Daly if they went toe-to-toe. Y'all know how I like to talk about how, like, uh, you know, when dudes come in there with that dumb game plan, though, I'm going to stand and bang with Paul Daly. Like, I actually think Luke could stand and bang with Paul Daly. Do you understand what I'm saying? But Luke is very hittable. His defense isn't quite the best. He's been dropped before in fights. So it's about Jeff Neal using that footwork properly, deciding when to, you know, mix in his attacks. And I think he can come out here and frustrate a guy like Luke as long as he's not badly compromised because, you know, Jeff has been finished before by strikes. Uh, the Kevin Holland fight back in the day. He was also rocked in the in the Nico Price fight. So Neil has to play this smart. But if he plays this smart, I think he can come out here and win. So this is a fight where anything could happen. So I took the plus 155 odds on Jeff Neal. I put two units on it. Look. I, I respect Luke just as much as anybody here. I think he's an amazing fighter. I love him. I mean, how can you not? If you're not a fan of Luke, we can't be friends, just like with dude, with Drew Dober, right? But it ain't about who you're a fan of. I, I just think uh, I like the price on Neil. I think it should be lined closer. I think this is a fight that they, they fight 10 times. You're seeing a different outcome all 10 times. And if Neil is actually truly back to being his healthy, you know, prime self, I think the speed is going to be a lot. I think those uh, kicks from that, those liver kicks from the southpaw stance are going to be a lot, and and I think that he can frustrate Lucas. So I'm going to go with Jeff Neal to come out here. Most likely a decision, but I mean, like, no one's exempt. Like, bangers are not exempt from their first knockout losses. So if this is going to be Vicente's first, I would not be surprised. But I, I do want to see a lot of body kicks, maybe even mixing the occasional takedown. I mean, when Jeff fought uh, Nico, the way he finished him was, was a ground and pound TKO. Now, I'm not saying you're about to ground and pound a TKO Luke or anything like that, but I'm saying if we can get on top of Luke, there's a chance Luke is just content to lay in his, uh, uh, on his back, Douglas Lima style, and, and not get back up. So I think uh, I think there are a lot of paths here. It's just, you know, if Jeff gets rocked with one of these Luke shots, shoots a sloppy shot, I mean, you know that Darcy and that Anaconda are going to be waiting there for him. It's just that I think the southpaw stance is going to give Luke a lot of problems. The calf kicks aren't going to be as readily available there for him. So it's going to be about Luke catching him with, a, with, with big punches, which is obviously a possibility. So... You know, it, it's a it's a fight that could go either way. I don't want to call it a close fight because I could see either guy making a statement, but on paper, it's a fight that could go either way. So for that reason, I took the plus 155 dog odds on Jeff Neal, and I'm hoping to see a, a step in the right direction in terms of how he looks compared to his last three fights. I really felt the Ponzinibbio fight was significantly better than the two prior to that, and I think that now he's got those three under his belt. He's back to full health. Hopefully we can see some semblance of the prime Jeff Neal. And if we do, then I think he's live for this upset. So I'm going to go Jeff Neal uh, plus 155. All right. So before I talk about these other fights, let me know if y'all got any questions for me. Um, 
about the about these two. Once I'm done talking about all this stuff, I'm gonna post the link to the chat. Excuse me, I'm gonna post the link in the chat to the stream, and y'all can like hop on side by side with me, talk to me, let me know what y'all think. Because last week was a little fun. I ended up calling a, a troll out, but then two of the fans hopped in here, and it was actually fun talking with y'all. So I'm down to talk with y'all more. So let me say, let me see uh, what y'all are saying. My boy Ay said. Hey, Dan, I know we've known each other for years, but if you're not rolling with Luke, I'm done with you. You will be disowned. You've been warned. Now get ready to sign the adoption papers, my man. <laughs> Joseph said, what's up? What's up, Joseph? Um, Dan Goldstein said, Dan, uh, Santos has no wheels on that rig. I'll take the young bull with two functioning knees. Yeah, no, I feel you on that. It's just got to be careful with those big hooks of Santos. Santos still can crack despite not having his legs under him. Um. Dan also said Jamal Hill throws a lot of punches. His output is wicked. Yeah, he's got insane output for a man that size. DFS Whisperer said, what up, Dan? What up, DFS Whisperer? My boy Big Steve in the house. All right, let me see. Let me see if y'all got anything else for me. Um, and before – and then I'll, I'll get to the next fight after that. Um, okay, my boy Dominic – understands the assignment smash that like button y'all smash it hit the subscribe button if you're not already subscribed i truly appreciate it uh dirty reg says he feels luke is the slightly better mma fighter i mean i, I don't think that's a bad take um but i think we know what to expect from luke with neil i think he can throw some curveballs uh in here so i'm very curious to see what him and and safe saoud have uh planned he said uh matthew said luke and uzman your favorite dogs luke is not a dog luke is a favorite so I, I took neil in that spot and uh oh you meant neil yeah, yeah yeah neil is but not 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 uzman bro this this ain't this ain't kamaru uzman this this the other uzman <laughs> all right but well so these tough fights i mean i'll talk about for a second i don't really have much to say about them but uh so i mean in the heavyweight tough fight we got zach pauga who's five and oh taking on muhammad uzman who's seven to two Currently, they got it. Zach, minus 260. Muhammad, plus 220. Guys, I know his last name's Uzman, but this is not his brother. This is, this, I mean, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, this is not Kamaru. This is this is Muhammad. They're, they're two different people, my brother. So uh, let's just put it this way. You know how I like to talk about, oh, this guy wouldn't even win the NFC title and this and that, and it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's just fun to talk like that sometimes, just fun to entertain y'all. Uh the NFC heavyweight champion, Brandon Sales, actually ground and pound TKO'd Muhammad Usman. So Muhammad Usman literally would not be the NFC heavyweight champion. He's lost to the NFC heavyweight champion. Unfortunately, I don't know shit about the other guys, so I, I, I got no comment on him. But he's minus 260, so I'll assume he's that for a reason, so I'll just pick him. But again, do not tail me on these two tough fights because I put in zero work uh on those I, I got way too much on my plate right now to look into those fights my boy herb dean is the gold standard said do you see motivation question for luke after that massive setback and championship hope against Bilal? you know that's always a big question um i mean i don't think he's skipping his sessions i just think it's more so a thing where he's been figured out we know exactly what luke brings to the table now you can still know what he brings to the table and still get caught the guy's still as dangerous as ever i just don't think we're gonna see too much you know too many new wrinkles to his game to 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 put it like that i don't think we're gonna see you know d1 luke or any shit like that it's just either luke is gonna hurt you badly and finish you or luke is gonna get outpointed or possibly get hurt himself so that's kind of how i view that 
Someone said former NFL player. You're talking about the dude fighting uh, Usman? Yeah, I wouldn't know. I'll just pick the guy fighting Usman because I've seen Usman fight, and and it ain't, it ain't Kamaru. And I know for a fact he wouldn't win that NFC title because he lost the NFC champ. And then the other fight, Juliana Miller taking on Brogan Walker. So Brogan Walker, she's obviously got more experience. She has a win over Miranda Maverick back in 2018. How, how fucking old was Miranda Maverick in 2018? Let me look that up. She was like 21, 20, something like that. But she was just a kid. She's also went the distance with Aaron Blanchfield. I haven't watched that fight, but I assume Aaron gave her a tour of the octagon. So one's got more experience. Juliana Miller, from what I've heard, word on the street is she's pretty decent on the mat. Um, and not to mention she's only 26, so she's going to be making big improvements every single time. So I don't fucking know. I'll, I'll, I'll go with Juliana Miller, but again, those two fights, the two tough fights, don't don't listen to a word I'm, I'm saying about those because I, I didn't watch a single episode of that season. I couldn't be bothered. All right, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Augusto Sakai. He's 15-4, taking on Sergey the Polar Bear Spivak, who is 14-3. Currently, they got it. Um, Sergey Spivak, minus 250. The comeback on Augusto Sakai is plus 210. This is interesting because it's like, Augusto Sakai, I actually thought he was pretty decent at one point, man. I mean, he's got a very methodical Muay Thai style. Obviously, the the output isn't on the highest side, but he's able to slow these fights down, win some close decisions. And I, I cash on him when he knocked out Marcin Tybora, and it looked like this guy was headed up for big things. And even in that Overeem fight, he did really well against Overeem. It was going well until it wasn't, right? The, the ending sucked, you know, in that fourth round. It was gassing out. He's a big boy. But up until then, I thought he was doing good. The only thing is the rebound fights, man, he's been getting walked through. So was it a thing where that Overeem fight was kind of like his Super Bowl and, you know, he just hasn't recovered mentally? And now, speaking about mentally, now he's gotten knocked out brutally. His last two fights, his chin isn't quite there. The only thing is that Sergey Spivak, look, they are heavyweights. Any heavyweight can knock anybody out. But Sergey ain't exactly known for being a big hitter for heavyweight standards. He's more of, you know, He'll jab you up on the feet, and then he'll look for that takedown, try to get on top of you, pound you out, maybe set up a set up a submission. So that makes it an interesting fight, and you got to know, you got to think Augusto Sakai is desperate to get back on track after the way those fights have gone. And I don't think Augusto Sakai is necessarily that old either. He's probably, I think he's still in his twenties, right? No, I'm wrong about that. He's 31. Still, that's that's still pretty young. Um, but Sergey is even younger. Sergey is like fucking 27. Yeah, yeah. So he's in his twenties. It's just about where's Augusto Sakai at mentally, you know? The the Overeem fight was like his Super Bowl, lost that. Then the, the last two fights, he's just gotten ran through. But Spivak doesn't have the same kind of power as a Tuivasa. Doesn't have the same kind of striking repertoire as a Overeem. Doesn't have the same kind of power as a Jerzino. It's, so it's a, so the, the knockout threat isn't quite there. But at the same time, they are heavyweights. And when your chin goes, your chin goes. So... I don't know. I'm kind. I'm kind of sketched about laying minus two fifty on Spivak here because I, I truly do think a couple of years ago that this would have been like a pick and fight, maybe even Augusto Sakai favored, and just how they match up stylistically. Uh, Spivak ain't a one hitter quitter type guy like Tuivasa, like Rosenstrike. He doesn't have the striking repertoire like over him, like I already mentioned. He's more of he also likes to slow fights down. He likes to pop his jab. If he goes jab for jab with Sakai, I got Sakai in that kind of fight. It's just, will Sergey have um, success taking Augusto down to the ground? If he does, that's where I think he can win. So I don't know. 
I actually think this might be a dogger pass situation. And, and that might look that might sound stupid because maybe Augusto is so far gone now at this point that uh maybe he gets knocked out by a guy like Spivak. But I, I just don't think so. I think I think this could be one of those close, like you know, low output. They stare at each other at times, heavyweight type fights. So I see it as a dogger pass situation. I guess pure pick. I'll go Spivak just because the momentum's on his side. But I ain't counting out uh, Augusto in this fight. His back's up against the wall. He needs this win desperately. And the his opponent doesn't possess the same danger factor as the last three guys he's fought. So, yeah, I don't know, man. Th- this, this might play out closer than the line indicates. I- I'm curious to see what happens. Next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Ariane, the queen of violence, Lipsky. She's 14-7, and seven, taking on Priscilla Cachoeira, who is 11-4. and four. Currently, they got it. Ariane Lipsky minus 170. The comeback on Cachoeira is plus 150. So this is interesting because a couple of years ago, I would have actually absolutely taken Cachoeira here for the sole fact that, you know, Lipsky might be the more technically proficient fighter, but um, but she we've seen her break in fights, right? And Cachoeira is that kind of fighter that she's got big power. She eats a lot of shots, and that, that's for sure. But she kind of walks forward and she breaks these girls. And I think that a few years ago, she would have for sure breaking, uh, broken Lipsky. It's just that now Lipsky's actually been kind of paying her dues and, I think she's getting a little bit more confidence under her belt. Maybe she's starting to believe in herself, whereas we haven't seen any evolution in the game of Priscilla whatsoever. It's the same thing. She's a punching bag defensively, but offensively she can be a hammer. Um, Can she break Lipsky down the stretch? That's the big question here. And I think there is a chance. I absolutely do think there is a chance because some of those old issues we've seen from Lipsky when fights aren't going her way, when you really put that pressure on her, you know, she tends to fold a bit. And that's something that Cachoeira is good at doing. It's just that Cachoeira has been figured out. Uh, we know exactly what Cachoeira brings to the table. But at the same time, power overrides technique in a lot of these women's weight classes. That's what makes it interesting. So if someone takes the dog shot, you know, you get those dog odds against Lipsky, against someone that you know is going to go forward, is going to try to make things happen. Um, then I, I see that case and possibly Cachoeira can break her. But I think Lipsky has been... You know, she's been paying her dues. She's been rounding out her game. And I, I heard she finally split up with the with the coach that was kind of holding her back. And now she's outside her comfort zone trying to get better. So and I think she might even be able to mix in takedowns in this spot. So I lean Lipsky. I just personally wouldn't lay Lipsky at minus uh, 170. So I'm good on that. But pure pick, I'll go Lipsky. Now, next up in the. In the middleweight division, actually, not 205, middleweight division, we got Michal Lord Olegzechuk. He's 16-5, representing Poland, making his middleweight debut, his long-awaited middleweight debut. You know how goddamn long we've been waiting for this dude to drop? He, he's a stud, though. He was like this little dude fucking going up at heavyweight, knocking dudes out, uh, at light heavyweight, knocking dudes out with body shots. So you got to respect him. Taking on Sam Alvey, who's 33 and, and 17. And currently they got it. Uh, Michal Olegzechuk just depends where you look. I see everywhere from minus 650 to minus a thousand. Um, the comeback on Sam Alvey is plus 475. So, yeah, um, so like I told you at the beginning of the show, I parlayed uh Jamal Hill with Michal Olegzechuk minus 158 to win two units, and this is just another Sam Alvey fade. Um, it's been profitable the last eight fights, minus the junk fight where we didn't even lose, we got our money back. Um, 
And now that Mihal Zaychuk is dropping to the white, right weight class, like I, I heard some people say, let's wait for the weigh-ins. Dude, I don't need to wait for no weigh-ins. Go ahead and miss weight, and I still think you're you're winning this fight, man. Like I think that Mihal, <laughs> I think Mihal is gonna walk this dude down, and I think he's gonna come out here, land big body shots, land big hooks over the top. Yeah, you gotta worry about the counter right hand of Alvi. Maybe take a sloppy shot. He's got that ten finger guillotine. But aside from that, man. I think that Sam Alvey still doesn't check leg kicks. I think his output is still absurdly low. And now his chin is starting to go. His confidence has to be at an all-time low, being on an eight-fight winless streak. I think Mihal Oleg is going to come out here and knock out Sam Alvey in the first round. So I got uh, Mihal Oleg And normally I wouldn't parlay favorites this big. I do from time to time. Like I did actually on Nunes the first fight thinking it was going to look like the fight the other night went and you know then i got the Pena fight wrong we'll talk about that another time but only one i think is going to be fights like that and this is the last opportunity to fade sam alvey so yeah so i did take a minus 650 parlayed him with hill minus 158 for that parlay uh to win two units so come on uh michal and and jamal let's go ahead michal and jamal I like it. It rhymes, and they're both they're both ushering out the old guard. So let's fucking go. Now, <laughs> Dominic said, uh, "Hold on, let me let me address some questions." Dominic says Sam Alvey got some secret on Dana White that has kept him a job. Now I think he's just a dude that's never pulled out of a fight, that's never missed weight, that always answers the call, that's got a good attitude, that treats the staff with respect, and I think that goes a long way. And that's it. Ursula said, what's your unit size? Uh, seven inches. Um, now, next up uh, in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Terrence McKinney. He's 12 and four, taking on Eric the Ghost Pepper Gonzalez, who is 14 and six. And currently they got it. Terrence McKinney minus 900. The comeback on Eric Gonzalez is plus 600. So this is interesting because it's like, we know what to expect from Terrence McKinney at this point. Terrence McKinney is very, very dangerous in that first round. He can get a lot of guys out of there. It's just when you extend Terrence McKinney, that's when he tends to either break or get caught in fights. And I'm not just talking about the Drew Dober fight, which we just saw where he, he ran Drew Dober through the ringer. Um, but after that, you know, he kind of broke. But even back to the uh, the Woodson fight on Contender Series, he was running, <laughs> Woodson through the series as well, but then he was starting to huff and puff. Then he was starting to shoot from a mile out, got flying knee KO'd. So the reason I'm talking like that is because minus 900. Look, I, I don't think Eric Gonzalez is anything special by any means, but, like, to give him some credit, I'll give him credit, and then I'll take away credit. To give him credit, he rocked Jim Miller. To take away credit, this dude's lost a fight to Humberto Bandene. That is a big, big no-no. Um, so, I mean, I got Terrence McKinney. I'm just not willing to lay minus 900. Like, I'd rather lay minus 900 against Sam Alvey than I would on Terrence, you know, even though I didn't lay minus 900. I laid 650, parlayed it with Jamal. So, yeah, I'm. you can't lay minus 1,000 on a dude that, you know, has one round of cardio. That's first round finisher bust. That's killer to be killed. Like, I need promises. And he probably does come out here. And and you know, I think he's way too athletic. I think he's way too fast for Eric. It's just one of those things where, if he doesn't get him out of there, and you're sitting on a minus a thousand ticket, yeah, those <laughs> that sphincter is going to be clinched. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, you are going to be sweating bullets. And I'm just not trying to put myself in that situation. 
just ain't worth it to me. But the pick is Terrence McKinney here. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Takashi Sato representing Japan. He's 16-5, taking on Brian Battle, who is 7-1. Currently, they got it. Takashi Sato. Excuse me. Brian Battle. Um, hold on one second. I don't think that's right. Did it, did it really get steamed to that extent? So currently they got it. Holy shit, it really did get steamed to that extent. Minus 270 Brian Battle. Plus 220 Takashi Sato. God damn. You won't catch me dead laying no minus 270 on Brian Battle. Like, I think Brian Battle is one of those dudes that like will be like getting his ass whooped but has really good cardio and you start to wilt and fade and then he'll kind of take over. So with guys like that, I, you don't lay prices. You know, like minus 270 on him. Um, He's not the best athlete. He doesn't have the best technique. He's just extremely tough, durable, and can kind of hang in there in fights. And with Sato, the output's kind of low, but he's got a mean straight down the pipe. He's got some decent kicks. He's got a judo background. Even judo throwed my boy Bilal Muhammad. But it seems like he's succumbing these takedowns a lot easier. It seems like he's not getting back up from bottom. So I kind of see Battle working him down the stretch, assuming Battle doesn't get caught with something big. Because Takashi, Takashi can crack, man. Takashi's no slouch. He's a big boy too. It's just if this becomes a battle of wills, I I, I do have battle in the battle of wills. No pun intended. Um, it's just you know you can't be laying no minus two seventy on Brian Battle, guys. Come on now. But yeah, pure pick, I'll go battle. But like at this point, it might even be a dog or pass situation. Like if Sato can drop this dude and avoid getting taken down, like don't don't put it past Sato to win this fight. That's all I gotta say. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll lean battle to maybe break him down the stretch. I, I don't fucking know. You ain't you ain't laying no minus two seventy on on Brian Battle, dude. He's unproven completely. Period. Now this fight, I'm I'm excited to talk about. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Jason Witt, 19 and 8, taking on Josh Quinlan, who is 5 and 0. Should be 6 and 0, but the guy was on the Garden of Life premium fruits and vegetable uh, Flintstone vitamins. Um, and currently they got it. Josh Quinlan, minus 215. The comeback on Jason Witt is plus 185. All right, let me say some shit about this fight. I got I got a lot to say about this. So, last fight with um with Jason Witt and Phil Rowe. I bet on Phil Rowe there. I can trust Phil Rowe. Like even in that fight that he had against Gabe Green that he lost, he still did really well in that fight. He's got a lot of potential. I've seen him overcome adversity. I've seen him in really tough spots and come back into finish fights. Got one of the longest reaches in the division. Like Phil Rowe, I think that he's actually a prospect y'all should look out for. So I bet on Phil Rowe. And I bet on Phil Rowe at minus 125. I think Phil Rowe is 10 times better than Quinlan. And Quinlan's minus 215. I bet Phil, one more time. I bet Phil Rowe minus 125. You understand what I'm saying? With this kid Quinlan. Okay. You watch his regional fights, and like, dude, like one or two fights before the contender series debut, he was getting taken down by some six and five, you know, gas station clerk. And no disrespect to my gas station clerks, like, because y'all are fucking badass, but like, you know, that's a different job than being a UFC fighter, right? And the clerk was out there taking down Quinlan. And, and stuff like that. And Quinlan, you know, he was good enough to beat that guy, but he was still getting taken down by him. And I'm just thinking to myself, what happens if a wrestler like Witt takes him down? And they take it a step further. It didn't quite look like Quinlan was on his uh, Flintstone vitamins in that regional scene fight where he was taken down. Then he goes to Contender Series. And, I mean, 
dude looks like fucking the Hulk out there. I mean, it, it was pretty much like a thing where like I know for a fact when Quinlan took a piss that night, he burned a hole in the floor. You understand what I'm saying? Like Quinlan was like like you could see the magma coming out of him man like that dude was juiced to a point like and, and this ain't and i like to talk about a lot where like some of these younger guys when they get off steroid suspensions like you know maybe you shouldn't worry as much because they're younger versus like an older guy getting on it like the trt vitor where their body flabs out but the physique difference was noticeable on contender series compared to uh his regional fights like it was day and night like i don't think anyone was beating uh quinlan on that night of contender series look the guy's a heavy hitter has a black belt in jujitsu but like it's completely green completely inexperienced and now allegedly we'll see maybe he found a new masking agent um but uh if he looks anything like he looked on contender series he's probably going to knock out wit in the first exchange it's just that if he's off those supplements, if he's not on that, if he's not harvesting the Garden of Life premium fruits and vegetables for this fight, now I think Witt's got the goods to to actually grind this dude out. Um, someone said he tested for Masterone. He he, te he tested for uh, Drostanolone or whatever the fuck. The dude, dude was on. I mean, watch that fucking fight. Look at his physique in that contenders fight, and then look at his physique in his regional fights. Like that dude was bending over, injecting needles into his ass, and he didn't even deny it. You know what I'm saying? Um, like when Brian Ortega popped for steroids in his debut, I think it was like a, a weight cutting steroid, which I'm not advocating, but that's different. It, it wasn't like Brian Ortega looked like the Hulk out there. This fucking dude, Quinlan looked like goddamn Hercules in, in his contender series fight. So if he looks like Hercules again, he probably knocks out wit in the first exchange, but I'm saying if he looks anything like he looked like on his regional scene, I think Wit can actually come out here and grind this dude out. Like I've seen Wit go out there and not just beat Brian Barberena, but if I were to tell you, if you never saw the fight, and I were to tell you only one person got dropped between Wit and Barberena, who would you guess? Of course you would guess Wit, but it was actually Wit that went out there and dropped Barberena. And beating Barberena, you can you can make excuses and be like, oh, Barberena had an off night. Like, bro, I don't give a fuck what off night he had. Like. Uh, Whit beat him fair and square, like and so that was that was a big deal. Like this dude's got a, a way different level of experience than this kid. Oh, someone said Masteron is a brand name of draw standalone problem. Okay, I got you, man. Yeah, sorry, I don't do steroids, so I wouldn't know. But um, bottom line, this motherfucker was on steroids. This dude was juiced to the gills. This dude was fucking breathing fire. This dude was pissing holes in the ground. So, and you could tell. Like I said, watch that fight, then watch his regional fights physique looks completely different like he's always been in shape but he was in like his muscles had muscles in, in the contender series fight so like usually when i'm on the fence like this i take the dog and i might even pick the dog out right the only reason i'm scared to bet the dog is because he could get knocked out in the first exchange he's gotten knocked out in the first exchange fucking two fights in the ufc now and he's been knocked out three fights total in the ufc he's been knocked out other fights outside the ufc so like to me like you know it, it's, it's you're playing with fire betting on jason witt but like to lay minus 215 on quinlan when he's as unproven as he is he's never been in there with anybody um he's never fought anybody and he's coming off a of steroid suspension if anybody in his camp wants to let me know if he's on steroids for this fight again maybe he found a better masking agent that's undetected by usada okay then 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 maybe he knocks out uh, Jason Witt in the first exchange or whatever the case may be. But 
if this dude's looking at all deflated, if this dude looks like he did when he got taken down by that six and five guy multiple times, um, then I think Jason Wick can come out here and grind this out, grind this guy out. It's just you got to put a disclaimer on that. You got you got to put a red flag. Jason Wick's chin is not the best. Jason Wick can be knocked out. Jason Wick can be winning an entire fight and get knocked out, or Jason Wick can get knocked out in the first exchange. So that that it is what it is. But I am not a believer in this Josh Quinlan kid at all. Uh, I, I don't believe in his mental. The fact that, like, I know a lot of people are on steroids and stuff like that, but like, the fact that you fought how you did on your regional fights, and then you had to, you know, you had to take needles in your ass for that contender series fight, and then your muscles had muscles, and I just didn't like that. He looked like Hercules that night. He looked like no one was going to beat him that night. If he looks like that again, he's going to win this fight. I'm not convinced he does. Give me the more experienced guy here, Jason Witt. It's just. When Jason Wick gets knocked out in the first exchange, I'm going to be really happy that I passed. But no, I am not a believer in Quinlan. That's why I took uh, Michal Oleksiak on the Sam Alvey fade instead for for the that parlay. All right, two more fights, and then I'm going to post a link to join the call, and then y'all can come in here, ask me questions, ask me whatever the fuck you want to ask me. Just you know, don't don't embarrass yourself. Is all I got to say. Because uh, as you saw with the troll that was eviscerated last week, uh, you know, we never heard from him again. I didn't block his ass. I didn't mute him. I mean, let's just say uh, let's just say he got put on blast to the point where he ran straight into witness protection. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Corey McKenna. She's six and two taking on Miranda Granger, who was seven and two. Currently, they got it. Um, hold on one second. Currently, they got it. Corey McKenna minus two twenty-five. Holy shit! The comeback on Miranda Granger's plus one ninety. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Corey McKenna I haven't been impressed with any of her UFC fights. I thought she lost to Kay Hansen. Definitely lost to Elise Reed. I was actually surprised that that was a decision. Just not, not a fan of the decision making in the fights. With Miranda Granger, what I do like is that she's got size for the weight class. She's she, she's a big girl, five foot seven. Has a 68 inch reach, like that's the same reach as Max Holloway. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? But she's also very green. I know, and but she's taking two years off. Maybe she's coming out here looking a lot better. Uh, I don't know what to expect, so I'll call it a dog or pass situation and take Granger. But uh, both these ladies need a lot of work, so you know, don't 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 be tailing me on that. How's everything looking? Y'all hearing me? Sounding? I'm sounding, looking good, all that shit. Now, next up in the the bantamweight division, we got a matchup between Myra Shitara Bueno Silva, who's eight and two, taking on Stephanie Egger, who is seven and two. Currently, they got it. Uh, Stephanie Egger minus one thirty five. The comeback on Myra Bueno Shitara Silva is plus one fifty five. So Bueno Silva, excuse me. So I like this fight a lot because. Myra Bueno Silva, dude, she hits very hard for the for this weight class of standards. She also opened the favorite here. Now she's the dog. Um, the only issue I have with Myra Bueno Silva is the takedown defense. Sometimes she can just give up easy, easy takedowns and not get up from bottom. But I mean, she I mean, she submitted Jillian Robertson with an armbar. She's got some stuff. Mara Romero Barilla submitted her. Very hard hitter is Myra Shitara with her hands and with her kicks. I mean, even in that Marina Moroz fight, like towards that third round, Marina Moroz was getting busted up badly. So it's just about Myra Shitara starting to feel more comfortable in there and getting better. And and with Stephanie Egger, you know, she's got that grappling background. Um, she is from 
Switzerland, actually. Is she like a Swiss, uh, a Swiss Olympian or something? She got some kind of like wrestling background from there. Um, she's done really well with the opponent she's been given. You know, armbar Jessica Rose Clark, who got armbarred her subsequent fight. Um, and Shanna Young pounded her out. So it's, so it's a thing where it's like, I think that on the feet, Meyer Bueno Silva is going to be landing the more damage. Is going to be busting her up. It's just about when Edgar gets those takedowns, are we talking about holding down Bueno Silva? Are we talking about getting off on damage on Bueno Silva? Or are we talking about Bueno Silva actually has an active guard and can maybe attack submissions on her own? So that's what I'm worried about. But I do think the damage will be landed by, by Bueno Silva. Um, the harder shots, for sure, maybe even opportunistic submission. I'm just worried about what I'm always worried about in any Bueno Silva fight. She can't stuff takedowns, um, and this girl is going to take her down. So that's what I'm worried about. Since the line flipped, I- I'm going to go with Bueno Silva at the underdog odds, but not confident for the reasons I mentioned. All right, anyways, let's go ahead and post a link for you all to join me. I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch, and then after that, I'll let you all come in here and ask me any questions you want. There's a link posted in the chat. I'm going to go on Twitter right now and actually post that. This is the link if anyone wants to join me and ask me any questions. So we're approaching fan Q&A portion of today's Half the Battle UFC Vegas 59 show here is the link to join the call and ask me anything you want all right <laughs> let's see how this goes this should be interesting all right so before i do that talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch and after that if you all are interested the links in the chat come join me Let's go side by side. Ask me anything you want. If you're too shy to show your face, um, then maybe ask me questions in the chat here, which I'm down to answer as well. All right. Fight to watch. I mean, come on. Besides, fight to watch is Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal. I mean, this is literally the best fight on the entire fucking card. Like, in terms of, like, e- being evenly matched on paper. Maybe it doesn't play out as an evenly matched fight, but we're dealing with a guy with Vicente Luque. I know he's got title aspirations. I mean, he's the second most potent finisher in welterweight history coming off a loss. I know he wants to rebound. He can knock anybody out. And then with Jeff Neal, he wants to get back to his old self. You know, he's got three fights under his belt since the unfortunate issue he had with his health. And now... He's apparently back in full health, and he wants to make a statement. He gets a win over a guy like Vicente Luque, and that's only going to work wonders for his career. And not to mention, these are two stand-up knockout artists that are going to go toe-to-toe, and someone's probably going to fall, or it's going to be a three-round war for fight of the night. So for that reason, Jeff Neal versus Vicente Luque is my fight to watch. Now, my fighter to watch is... Come on, y'all. Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill, man. I mean, I've been saying since day one that this guy is the future of the division. Well, if I am right in my uh, assessment that he's the future of the division, well, then he's got to come out here and beat a guy like Tiago Mahetta Santos and move up the ranking. So let's see uh, what Jamal Hill has in store for uh, – let's see what he's got planned for the serious grizzled vet Tiago Mahetta Santos and one of the scariest knockout artists in the history of the sport. So – Jamal Hill is my fighter to watch. All right, we got our first person in here. Capone. 
What, what is up, Capone? Yo, what's up, G? We're good. I'm doing amazing. What about yourself, bro? Yeah, busy, man, but I'm doing, doing well. Can you hear me well? Yeah, I can hear you well. I remember you sent me a couple uh, videos on uh, Instagram. That's you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was me, man. Just, uh, you know, last month it'd be my birthday, my girl's birthday, so I've been really busy. I'm going to send you some breakdown about some fight. Okay, that's what's up. What you got for me? Yeah, I was just um, just uh, joined the live a little bit later, you know, because I was working. And um, what's your opinion uh, on uh, the fight with Priscilla Capoeira and stuff like that? Um, we talked about it, but basically my opinion is that technically speaking, I think that Lipsky's better. But the things that have given Lip Lipsky issues in the past is when people just get tough with her, people kind of push her, you know, try to break her down the stretch. And that's something that Cachoeira could possibly do. The only issue is Cachoeira's game hasn't evolved at all. It's the same thing. She's a punching bag on the feet, but she can give it back too. And power overrides techniques a lot of these times. But I think that Lipsky might finally be gaining a bit of confidence so i lean lipsky i just personally wouldn't lay minus 170 on her and i understand why people are taking the shot on cachoeira yeah i took a shot on cachoeira like sunday because she was a uh, an underdog i saw there is a few nice underdog this week uh, in... you, you, you still there oh yeah there you are wait wait wait, wait. i was trying to watch the you know but my laptop is a little bit low and um, after I took, uh, I invested also in uh, Natalie because I saw she was an underdog, you know. I'm really, you know, it's really in hard. Who, in who? In uh, Stephanie Edger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because basically, I think, you know, like, uh, it's really hard for a jiu-jitsu player to take down uh, a judoka, you know. She's a black belt in judo, black belt in jiu-jitsu as well, I think. And she's a European champion. And uh, she was like battling with uh, Ronda Rose as well, you know, back in the days when they were yeah. doing judo and jujitsu. So, so like uh, I saw that she was an underdog. I think now she should be one, plus one twenty. So I'm I'm pretty happy that uh, I jump in, you know. And she's look really strong, you know, because the judoka people they look really strong. They got the strong back, you know. So I think uh, she's a little bit too a brawler, I think, Silva. So. Yeah, I think uh, I got gonna be a good investment, you know. On probably gonna be a, de a decision, I think. Gonna watch later was the price there. Yeah, and, and then, I mean, listen, you better at dog money, and now she's the favorite. So regardless, you did your job. Yeah. You do stuff like that long term, you're gonna come out on the right side of the coin. So, you know, you did you did what you yeah. got to do on that. So it's always it's good, you know, to have some underdog. I think it's always nice. Uh, of course, of course, of course. Where are you from, brother? I'm from uh, I'm an African in Eritrean, but I'm living in uh, Manchester in England. So I'm getting a little bit the UK accent. I say mate all the time. You said you said Africa. You're from? Yeah, yeah, I'm from Eritrea. In the African power, bro. You got oh yeah, you know about the African power. Sorry, sorry. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, yeah, the African power. Yeah, here they just tried to ring me in it looking for me bro yeah that's what's up that's what's up man well i appreciate you hopping in here man you got anything else for me before i let you go yeah last time you said that, that your father is hungarian or romanian what did you say last time yeah yeah he's from transylvania romania because i'm pretty cool isn't it you say you're mexican as well what's your background bro like yeah yeah my mom my mom was born in mexico my dad was born in romania so 
I'm I'm a first generation American. I'm I'm quite the mix. That's cool, bro. Yeah, man, it's interesting, right? Yeah. I respect America a lot, you know. The American dream, bro. Hell yeah, man. Come through anytime, buddy. Yeah, come to Georgia one time, you know, maybe we spar and that we roll. Oh yeah, that's that's right. You do train, you do train. Yeah, come to my gym anytime. Yeah. I'm always in there. I have I haven't sparred Muay Thai in a very long time, but I do jujitsu every day. So yeah, anytime, yeah. come through. Yeah, for sure, innit? Now we see with the corona we, when we're gonna end everything. Yeah, I mean things have been th- things have been getting better. I mean, I've been training every day, not not wearing masks as much, and you know, I just it's yeah, al- it's almost crazy. like it's it's behind us now. I had COVID like maybe like a year ago now, and it absolutely sucked, but it is what it is. So it's behind me. But yeah, man, I appreciate you stopping by. Best of luck to you, man. I hope yeah, you start feeling it, better and uh, keep up the good work. All right. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I right, appreciate brother. it, man. You know, always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Take care, man. All right, we got Big Steve. What's up, Big Steve? Oh, what's going on, mate? How are you? Doing amazing yourself. Yeah, not too bad, man. Just on holiday in Europe, just chilling. Yeah, where thought are you from, I'd, bro? Uh, thought, I'd, uh, thought I'd jump in for the first time. Why not? Usually yeah. I'm, uh, usually I'm sleeping in Australia when you're doing these live. Oh, you, you down under? Yeah, usually, man. But yeah, I just, I'm on a holiday now in Europe. So yeah, first time catching you live in who knows how long. Where uh, where in Europe are you? Uh, in Croatia, in a ah, village. Zagreb. Nah, nah, not in Zagreb. It's uh, far from there. It's in the middle of nowhere, pretty much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Nice. Nah, it's good. It's good to relax a bit. Yeah, is that like your vacation spot? You got family there? Like, what's the deal? Uh, literally the house that I was born in, uh, twenty nine years ago. So it's still uh, it's still here, and my grand my grandma's on the bottom floor. So I'm oh, just wow. relaxing, going to the beach every day, and still taping fights, but you know, just not as hardcore as I would back home. Okay, cool. Who are you liking this weekend? Ugh, tough question, man. Pretty pretty horrendous card for betting. If if I got to be honest, uh, I thought I liked Luke, and then after tape, I was like, ah, oh, no, the line line is probably accurate, probably zero value there whatsoever. Other than that, I'm just taping Sakai. Probably like him as a dog, but yeah, honestly, mate, just tape maybe thirty percent of this guy. I, I probably the only the only player I currently have is uh, Silver at dog odds. I think uh, it's a bit crazy that Edgar's favorite over someone like Silver. I think uh, people are just overreacting a bit after she bet someone like uh, Young and and uh, Jessica Rose Clark. I mean, we've seen her get submitted twice now, so I think it's just. In hindsight, uh, the line might seem a bit crazy, but I'm, I'm not even too confident with that line either, just because, like you said, the takedown defense and the fight IQ, but you just have to play the underdog number on silver, I feel, over someone. Like Edgar, she's, she's so uncomfortable going backwards and pressure and striking. Uh, so yeah, she hasn't fixed any of those holes. So at the moment, that's the only thing I have, half a unit on silver, but it seems like uh, just a general pass card all around pretty much. No, I mean, listen, you did your job. I mean, uh, Bueno Silva was the favorite. Now she's the underdog. So, you know, as long as you're getting the, the best of the line long term, you're going to be on the right side of the coin. So that's all you can ask for. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, that's you, you got to play her as an underdog. And if uh, half a unit, we'll see what happens. Now, um, I do have a question for you. Sure. When are we, when are we doing that uh, joint podcast? Who? Me and you? 
I, I didn't know you were in a podcast. Like in terms of doing, I sent you, I sent you uh, the Twitter, the Twitter message a while back. That was me. You probably don't remember. Uh, dude, I, I get like hundreds of messages, man. It's it's. Oh, that's all right. Right. Yeah, yeah, I sent yeah. you. Um, it was it was like three four weeks ago when you said um, you're looking for a co-host like for one or two episodes, and if uh, but no one, everyone's too shy to send like uh, breakdowns, like right. them talking. So I sent you like my a uh, few of my videos, and you said you check it out. I was like, no worries, man, no pressure. I'm in Europe soon, so I just thought I'd uh, I'll jump on and put you on the spot. <laughs> uh no, I appreciate. it. I love being put on the spot. Yeah, man. I mean, listen, just keep grinding, and you never know what the future holds. You know, it's it's one of those things where, I mean, I say I, I really say it more so than I'm looking for a co-host. More that if the right co-host comes along and we have the chemistry and you know the dynamic and the fans are entertained, then I wouldn't write off that possibility. But yeah, but we'll see what happens, man. Just keep doing your thing. I would just stay consistent, keep putting out videos, and and you never know what could happen down the line. Yeah, of course, man. Uh, I don't mean like a full time co-host. I just mean like a guest appearance or some something like that. Just like one episode. Well, shit, you're making a guest appearance right now, aren't you? <laughs> That's it. Good point. Everyone, uh, <laughs> put, uh, put the house on silver, everyone, and then uh, you can blame me if you lose. <laughs> yeah, and he said he took a half unit shot to his credit, so that, that's yeah, not. A... I was just talking shit. <laughs> yeah, awesome, man. Well, I hope you enjoy your time in Croatia, and then best of luck in your travels back down under, and uh, good luck this weekend. Thanks, mate. Appreciate having me on. Yes, sir. My pleasure, man. You take care, Steve. All right. You too. Have a good one. All right, man. Take care. All right. So, if any of y'all uh, got anything else for me. Now, now would be the time. If not, I'm a, I'm a jet out of here, man. Hungry as fuck coming back from the gym. So I got to get some food in me. But this is the last call. Stream link is in the chat. It's interesting how that troll never showed up ever again. You know, I didn't have to even, I didn't even have to block him. I didn't have to mute him. Um, he had every chance. And uh, he went running uh, straight into witness protection. All right, here we got. We got Dom in here. What's up, Dom? Yo. Great to meet you, Dan. Nice to meet you too, man. How's it going? Great. Just about to uh, work some tennis. I'm a tennis instructor. Wanted to show you my balls. Oh, man. You got nice balls. Thanks, man. I'm glad to get that from you. Um, anyhow, just looking forward to uh, Chandler and Poirier. Got any comments about that real quick? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, listen, man, you know I've been rolling for, with Poirier for a long time. I think that he's got a lot more variety, especially the way he's switching his stances, um, his understanding of boxing for MMA, big kicks too. You saw that uh, that Max Holloway fight. It wasn't – people just remember how he busted up Holloway with shots, but what about, what about uh, the kicks that he was landing in that fight and also insane durability? It's just with Chandler, you know, he's a bit of a wild card. I mean, the dude will be like losing fights yeah. and then just randomly sleep people, so – and that's not just the Tony Ferguson fight. I'm even talking about fights from back in the day. Um, so, yeah, he's he's definitely something. But I think the longer the fight goes, that favors Poirier. Um, so, yeah, I, I got to lean Poirier there, and hopefully it's a playable price. As long as Poirier is still motivated, is still, you know, the guy that he once was because, you know, it sucks when all our favorite fighters reach the end of the rope. And does he still have title aspirations? So if Poirier is still hungry and still fights like the Poirier I know, then I think Poirier comes out here and he sleeps this guy. 
for sure. Yeah, I was just thinking if Chandler's going to, you know, see it's five rounds. So he had the three with Gagey. Ferguson was three. So back to five. So maybe he's just going to, you know, blitz like he did with Oliver again and try with that strategy. And, and, and that might work. You never know. I mean, like, you know, Poirier from time to time has gotten caught and Chandler is known for catching people. So you can't write off that possibility. It's just in an, in an, in in an extended fight, I think that Poirier is able to eat the shots better than Chandler. Now, granted, the right shot on the right spot, the but, uh, on the button on the chin, on the temple, like wherever it may be, any guy can be put out with any shot. But if we're talking about accumulation and, you know, over time, I think that Poirier will eat the shots better than, than Chandler will. And Chandler tends to kind of redline a little bit, doesn't have the same composure as a guy like Poirier. And kind of, I don't want to say he breaks down the stretch because he's as tough as they come. And even in that that Gaethje fight, when it seemed like he was like on death's doorstep, he was still trying to fight. So the guy's got balls too. Um, I just uh, like what I've seen from Poirier better throughout his entire career. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks so much for all the videos. And uh, I'm going to get to work here. Have a good one. Yeah, man, you got anything else for me? Oh. Uh, that's about it for now. Probably check in next week as usual. All right, man. Well, I hope you have a great tennis practice, and I uh, appreciate you hopping on. All right, man. Take care. All right. See ya. All right. Cool. That was Dom. Anybody uh, any, Anybody else? Last call, last call, last call. Um, if not, then I am going to get out of here and prepare myself some chicken tacos. And Man, I'm excited to eat. I'm very, very, very hungry. So, again, last call. Posting the link one last time. Y'all got T minus 30 seconds to hop in here. And if not, then we're going to wrap this show up. So, guys, I want to thank y'all so much for joining me on this special UFC Vegas 59, Jamal Sweet Dreams Hill versus Tiago Majeta Santos edition of Half the Battle, Vicente Luque versus Jeff Neal 2. Make sure y'all subscribe to the channel. Make sure y'all leave a like. Make sure y'all leave me a comment afterwards. Uh, subscribe, of course. And then also retweet on Twitter. And, and if y'all genuinely enjoyed it, y'all found certain quotes interesting, funny, entertaining, whatever, feel free to tweet out certain things that you liked about the show. I'll retweet them. Only thing is, if I'm not following you, then I, I don't get the notifications on my uh on my Twitter feed. So, but my DMS are open, so you can always DM me anytime, but yeah, I appreciate all the help I can get from y'all. So thank y'all so much. Truly appreciate it. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.